Hello and welcome to another episode of The Wayne Hour, a podcast series where we sit down with leaders from across the country and talk with them about the important issues of the day. I'm Kevin Chrism, I'm the host of the program, and I'm delighted to welcome you in to another episode. My guest on the show today is Rayla Campbell. Ms. Campbell currently is a Republican congressional candidate running in Massachusetts 7th Congressional District against Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. She also is a conservative activist, and she joins us on the show today to talk about her campaign, about Massachusetts politics, and a whole lot more. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Wayne Hour. You can subscribe to the show by finding us on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Thank you. Rayla Campbell, thanks so much for joining us here on the Wayne Hour today. We appreciate your time. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Obviously, <laughs> we have a lot to get to. It's been a, I would say, a difficult week for Republicans across the country, for especially with the uh, the inauguration of Joe Biden as president. Were you able to watch any inauguration? And what's your early thoughts so far on, I guess, day two? Is it already day two in the Biden uh, White House? I did not watch any of it. I chose not to. It was my decision that I did not want to watch. You know, it's a corruption, which I clearly thought. So I didn't watch any of it. I heard bits and pieces from the news. And then I did see some stuff trending on Twitter. And, you know, for me, I I just thought that how the election was run by the Biden campaign was illegitimate. And they cheated. And we all know there's just, it's proof. It's out there. We can it's been completely legitimate and everybody's showing all of the proof in the affidavits, but yet the Democrats are always saying, no, there's no proof, there's nothing, we can't, we don't believe it. So I chose not to watch any of it. And then when I started hearing that he signed, was it 17 executive orders on the first day? And then you see everything that he did, he just basically is trying to destroy everything that Trump did, which made this country thrive. And it was doing so great until Corona hit. Right. I mean, you look at one of the executive orders, he wiped out the Keystone XL pipeline, which took away 11,000 jobs and kind of went away from what he was talking about. You know, President Trump on the trail and of course during the presidential debates, challenged Joe Biden. He said, hey, Joe, you're going to get rid of fracking. He said, no. And this is an example and obviously put the U.S. right back in the Paris Climate Accords as well. So not yes. shocking, I guess, but it's just hypocrisy, I think, at its finest from the Biden campaign early on. It, it really, it's, it's horrible because you see that they're completely are in bed with China and in bed with all of these radical countries that just don't have America's best interests in mind. And we're leading in energy right now. And look at what Canada, I mean, Canada is so upset that we would actually, that Biden would actually do that. And so are the American people. I mean, on day one, 900,000 jobs lost. Right. It's it's a sign of things to come, I think. It really is. It's too bad. You mentioned the election and how uh, it was stolen and, and all. So what do you make of these you know, Republican governors, such as the governor of Georgia and the secretary of state of Georgia and other ones across the country who, who didn't call the legislature in and didn't order audits and so forth? Do you think they should be... Uh, you know, primaried by conservative challengers in these next couple of years when they're up for election. And what do you make of their role in all this as well? 
Absolutely. I think everybody who didn't look into the concerns of the people and actually the um, Dominion voter machines that we know have been proven that have fraud and that they've stolen information right off of it. And the same thing that happened here in Massachusetts with Secretary Galvin's office during my write-in in September. It, we could not believe that it took them eight days to count all of my write-ins and then they said that the deadline had passed for us in order to get a recount of all of the under votes that they said were mistakes, where people spell my name wrong or put the town wrong. But that's supposed to be voter intent, according to the Secretary of State, but it wasn't. And we weren't able to look at any of those because we had to wait for the total number to come in first. And the deadline had passed for the recount, and they were still counting. Right. And that's all controlled by the Secretary of State's office. So the same thing goes with all of these other states. These governors should have stepped in and said, wait a second, we need to review this. There is a problem here, especially when it's not just one person saying it, when everybody's saying it, and a lot of people are seeing it happen, ballots are printed without candidates' names on it, then reprinted, who knows which ones they counted. That happened to Ingrid. Also, Julie went down in um, District 4. Wow. One of the um, clerks came forward and said she has written an affidavit that there was rotor fraud there, and she's going to come forward and talk about it. But the media here doesn't want to say anything about it. So we need to make sure that as Americans, we're holding true to our Constitution and what it's there for and the guidelines that it puts forth for us in regards to all of these positions with these these politicians that have been there for so long. It's money hungry. They've become greedy and they've become completely in control of everything. And us as constituents have nothing nothing to say about we anytime we try to say anything or bring it up we're shot down it's like you can't fight city hall but now we can because we have 74 million people who voted 75 million for donald j trump who was the rightful president and we all know that our voices were silenced and taken away from us in some cases because we have proof right I want to I want to ask you about you mentioned the writing campaign, but first I want to ask you. Let's back up a little bit. So why did you decide to run for Congress in the seventh district against uh, Ms. Presley, Ayanna Presley, who was just elected in 2019? What made you do it? Was it a culmination of things? Was it something you said you woke up one morning and you say, you know what, I'm sick of it. I want to run. Or had you been thinking about it for a long time? Take us through that that process. Well, you know, first of all, I don't think anybody should ever run uncontested. And that happens all throughout the state of Massachusetts. And over since I became a mom, my oldest daughter just turned 11 last week. So I, when I had her in 2010, I noticed that as a parent, things were changing around me that I wasn't very happy about. And then I started realizing all the politics that were involved of everything from all aspects. I started with early Head Start and STARS and was on the board. And it was like, this isn't right. We're not really giving benefits to American people and to the American citizens. And I feel like we're being, we're hurting them. Why are the politicians doing that? And I'd started digging more and realizing what was going on. And it's the lobbyists and they're just in bed with so many of these big corporations that want to control everything. And so for me, I was like, enough's enough. I'm going to stand up for this. And Ayanna Presley. And everything that she has said 
and done. And what she came out and said and did, and she started sowing division and racism right back into the communities that are the most diverse communities in the entire country. Right. So why would you come in here and start pitting everybody against each other based on the color of their skin when our children don't see that and they go to school and it's like a beautiful rainbow. And now you're teaching them that race if you're the wrong race, then you're oppressed or you're, you have a better benefit. You're more privileged because of the color of your skin. My kids are mixed. That, that just doesn't fly with me. And everything that she was saying and doing was against what we stand for here in Massachusetts and how I was raised. She's not from here. And I was like, let's get her out. She does not belong in politics. And nobody wants to actually get up and run against her. She's scary. She's intimidating. You know, she's part of the squad. That does not scare me at all. It doesn't intimidate me. All I see is a big mouth and big problems in someone that hates this country because of everything that she says. And especially now that she went out there and called members of Congress white supremacists that she's been working with. Now, how do you work with somebody like that? Yeah, uh, it, it's just, it, it's frustrating to see someone who, you know, purports to represent a district, which she's never here. I mean, I'm in Milton. Luckily, she she only represents a few precincts in Milton, not my precinct. I have Stephen Lynch's congressman. Got some issues with him, but I think he, I'll take him any day over Ayanna Presley or some of these other radical liberals. But she's never in the district. She's always traveling with, you know, AOC and Tlaib and Ilan Omar and so forth. And it's a dangerous game. And and I think even some Massachusetts Democrats, maybe more moderate Democrats, that they're not up to that game either. So I, I, I just think people need to realize that the squad, you know, are they energetic? Okay, you can give them that. They're energetic. They, they use the media. They use their mouthpiece and so forth. But they talk a dangerous game in the country, I think, with some of their policies. So it's something we definitely have to watch out for. So kudos to you for standing up and continuing to stand up for the people of this district. I want to talk about the write-in. What happened there? How, first of all, how did, why did you decide to run as a write-in or was it something that you were prevented by what 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 was the story there yeah well i got a really late start starting everything i got um two weeks to collect the signatures and you know COVID happened everything was shut down i was like how are we supposed to do that and i found out that we could do the digital online signatures so we got that up and running and i actually had over 1800 digital signatures but a lot of them were from out of my district and then they kept saying the ones majority of the ones that were in my district were unregistered voters they have all their information you think people are going to put all their information into a system if they're not registered to vote pretty yeah. sure that they are right. so you know it's it was that was the first hurdle and of course we went to court over that and they didn't even want to hear it and you know we asked for further relief because I was in the top district that had the highest COVID cases all of the towns Chelsea being number one Boston number two my hometown Randolph number three followed by Somerville it was like okay great this how am I I can't go door to door that's going to make Republicans look really bad so we asked for relief they denied that so I was like well I'm not going to give up why give up? So they're trying to stop me from doing something. I'm determined to keep going. So the requirement is I only need to get the same number of signatures that were required on the nomination process for the primary. So went out there campaigning, doing hundreds of events, all sorts of standouts, rallies, meeting with people, you know, really building my base and comes to you know, the uh, September primary 
and I was like passing out stickers. We're going to do this. We're going to shock the world. I'm going to be on the ballot for the November election. And we got over the number. Mind you, there's still numbers that they won't give me the information for, but I got, they certified 1500 plus. I only needed a thousand. Oh no, you're held to the original statute pre-COVID that I didn't know COVID ended, right. <laughs> that where you have to get 2,000 signatures in order to be on the ballot for September. And I said, hold on, that's a violation of my constitutional rights. 14th Amendment says that you cannot give the incumbent an advantage over me. That's a violation, which now you're doing. And they said it's their opinion of the law that Governor Baker put through that it only applied to the nomination process. But Massachusetts general law clearly states that whatever happens in the nomination process follows through to the primary because it's in the same election cycle. So you can't change the rules within the same cycle, but they did. So they kept me off the ballot yet again. And the judge wouldn't even hear the case because one of the Supreme Court justices died on the day that my case was supposed to be heard. I'm like, really? What are the odds? Yeah. No, I don't. Yeah. So they just completely didn't even want to hear it. And we got the Secretary of State, they send it they sent out their Aaron boy and we got him on tape actually stating that it was their opinion of the law. Interesting. So we're still working, you know, I have constitutional lawyers that are looking into it because there have been um, a lot of cases brought against the secretary of states in other states. So we're looking at what they're doing in Texas and maybe probably modeling after that and going after, you know, the SJC here because sure, we need that. to. Yeah, exactly. So when you're traveling across the district, obviously with COVID, it's a little more difficult in the prime in the cycle. But when you're traveling across the district, and what are people saying when uh, about your messaging about about your campaign? Uh, what was the the feeling that you were receiving in a you know pretty you know, democratic, heavily uh, district? Yeah, you know, it was amazing to say the least. People actually were tired of what they were seeing tired of what's happening in their towns and they feel like they don't have a voice. So when I was explaining to them how, you know, we need to really focus on our traditions, our values, making sure a lot of people like the fact of bringing God back, you know, in people's lives and in these children's lives because they need some type of discipline and some type of fear. So you're speaking to a very conservative base of Democrats because they're JFK Democrats. Right. And those Democrats are now more on a Republican side because they hold true to the traditions that we grew up with. And, you know, making sure that we help our own and protect our own, stand up for our values, our traditions, our way of life, by also allowing other people to come in with their traditions and embracing that as America. That's what makes us grow. So there's many different cultures that we have and we need to be able to all be under one umbrella, which we are and which we were. It's called America. And instead of people coming in and wanting to actually divide everybody, I just focused on what we all agree on and what we all want in every different diverse background. And what's that? Education, opportunities, jobs, security. You know, they want 
supermarkets brought into into towns that have none. These these are simple things. They just want to live as all of these big politicians get to live in their own American dream and be able to have access to jobs and to education the same as anybody else. Right. And with you see what the teachers union is doing and they're really taking it away from everybody, especially now with the new curriculum that's starting to rear its ugly head and everybody's going, wait, what is this? Critical race theory, what just happened? That's gotta end and it's talking to people and letting them know what it is and they're stopping, they're going, wait a second, do they realize that I'm from Vietnam? I, you know, my family is over here. They're from Cuba. You know, I'm from Colombia, all different areas, people from Haiti. And then they come here to escape that. And now you're trying to bring that onto them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons why, for example, you know, President Trump was so successful in a state like Florida, where so many, you know, Cuban Americans who escaped that, you know, Castro like communism in Cuba and, and we're able to move to Florida and he's doing well down there. So I think you're exactly right. So so what's next for, let's talk about, before we go national, let's talk local. What's next for Massachusetts Republicans? Obviously we live in a state, as I mentioned, not just a district, you know, the seventh district, but the state in general is, is a, you know, heavily democratic state. So how do we do it? How do you do it? How do Republicans do it? Of course we have, you know, quote unquote Republican as the governor. I wouldn't say he's much a Republican with some of the policies that um, he's enacted and, and so forth. So how do we do it? How does the mass GOP get that message out that you were talking about, not just to the people of the seventh district or the South shore, but across all parts of, of the Commonwealth uh, and, and not just the next cycle, but for, for future ones as well. And you know what, it, it starts with the GOP being unified. Right now there's so much division and tension and backstabbing. I have found just the worst people that are supposed to be committee members that literally go out and will try to hurt candidates running. They'll try to box people out instead of letting the best candidate go for the position. So it's control from the established Charlie Baker type of Republicans that we have to now start primarying and start taking them out because they're backstab every single person. They're supposed to be out there helping the candidate, but they'll secretly go to the media and, you know, spread lies or, you know, send horrible videos that aren't even factual, which, you know, they know they don't know the whole story. And they really will diminish people so that they can't get, they don't feel like they have the support of the Republican Party. Jim Lyons has been amazing. But him and then the Baker side, not so great. We're supposed to have all these committee members. And it's like, all I can name is Jeff Deal and Kathy Joe. And, you know, it's like, who else? So my question to the GOP was, do you have any state committee members that are of color? And I got a lot of quiet. And I, I think there's one. I think there's one. And I'm like, Okay, never even heard about her. And I said, how about anybody that works for the GOP? Mm. Well, none. And I said, that's what your problem is. So you have President Trump that actually did way better in Massachusetts than what they were reporting because I've been to all of the rallies where we've had thousands of people, Spanish community, especially on the North Shore, super, super supportive 
of President Trump, but they will not support the GOP because they don't feel like they'll listen to them and they don't have anybody in there of any type of color that will represent them. Mm -hmm. And I've found it myself when I try to go out and they're intimidated by me. I'm not, oh, super ghetto, but I also don't fall in line with what they want me to do, which is probably sit back and lose. I'm a fighter and I go out there, I work. So I make them have to work and they don't like that. They're used to sitting there getting reelected for losing. So now I'm going out there all over the state, finding these candidates to primary these longtime 20 year state committee members. It's time to go because you're not doing anything for the voices of Massachusetts. And a lot of people are saying, hey, we don't have any seats. We have like 13 seats in the state that are Republican. We have none in congressional and of course none in Senate. And we're supposed to have a Republican governor but we all know he paid more, he gave more donations to Democrats than he did Republicans. And all the Republicans I got endorsements were like the last second where it didn't even matter. And it tanked every single one of them, tanked them all once they took that endorsement. So what the Republican party needs to understand is they need to connect with the everyday person and stop thinking they can just work with this top class up here. Who is the working class? Those are the voters. Those are the people you need to connect with because those are the people that are hurting and that are angry. And I've connected with them. So I speak that same voice and that's what the GOP needs to do. They're late on every single story they come out with. I've already posted about it. My pages are, everybody already knows. And now here they come, Johnny come lately. Oh, look, but they're not focused on helping every person that's trying to run from all local levels, every level. And they've taken some of my advice when I said we wanna work from getting dog catcher up. Every single person should be able to go out and run as a Republican and know that they would have the support of the Republican party here in Massachusetts, especially when they don't understand the process. You're new like me and you're just jumping into it and you really wanna make a difference because you see the things that are wrong with your town. They just focus on people who they single-handedly pick and put them into these positions. And then that's what they're focused on. They don't care about anybody else that wants to come in and change or bring new ideas. They like their ideas. And that's where you get stuck in, as John Paul would say it, the grand old party instead right. of the grand opportunity party, which he changed it to. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, you, you mentioned like the North Shore Lawrence, but President Trump actually did fairly well up in Lawrence and, and those other communities. So it's something to definitely watch. You mentioned Governor Baker. Uh, there was a talk about him possibly running for a third term. What do you think of that? Is it time for him to take a seat, someone else to, uh, to take the reins? I'm not talking about, you know, I think if you run someone like Karen Polito, they'll get blown out of the water. I don't think she'll bring much to the table, but is it someone like a conservative such as, you mentioned Jeff Deal, I think he's already considering it. Someone like, uh, there's a couple of sheriffs, Sheriff Tom Hodson down in Bristol County and so forth. So what do you think? Do you think it's time for Governor Baker to uh, to take a seat and say, thanks for thanks for eight years, it's time for you to, uh, no, thanks for really destroying, I think, the Massachusetts Republican Party and uh, time for you to uh, say sayonara. 
Yeah, I think Baker, what he's doing right now is just blocking for Karen, trying to, you know, give her enough boost so that everybody's afraid, thinking Baker's going to run and then they bring out Karen. You know, she's going to lose anyway, but she would lose definitely to more Healy if we don't have somebody that would come in there. And, you know, talking to Jeff Deal, you you see that maybe he's thinking about it. You, you want to know if he's going to do it, but Baker's done. I don't think that he would win another term because of everything that is happening. And then he goes out, what, to yesterday? And he was like, okay, you know, we're going to change the, take away the um, curfew. Yeah. And the cases are going up. And it's it's funny, though, two days after Biden is inaugurated, too. It just, it's ironic. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) if you just sit there and you're looking at everything that he's doing, and if you're paying enough attention, you got to realize that there it's he's definitely up to something, but he, I don't feel like he's going to run again. I think he's just trying to scare off any other Republican candidate, i.e. be, you know, just down there, Jeff Deal, because Jeff, you know, would be afraid, I think, in my opinion, yeah. to run against Baker because he would think he would lose in a primary. I don't think he would lose in a primary. But we need really, really strong candidates that are going to be ready to go out there and do it right now. And that's what we should be doing. So I definitely think Karen's a lost cause and she's the worst thing that Baker could be throwing out there. But that's what he's going to throw out there. So we got to make sure that we're prepared. And there's a lot of potential candidates here to run for governor of Massachusetts. And I've been reaching out and, you know, trying to get some some feedback from some of these I think people that could definitely win and you know has a lot of trust a lot of trust in the community and people have seen what they've done and they've been around for a while and just bringing them back into the spotlight would be great absolutely now I want to ask you uh, we talked about this off air but you're running again in 2022 what are you going to do differently are you going to switch up how you're going to do it um obviously you're running against Diana Presley in the seventh district but what's the message obviously we talked a lot about today is it the same or and uh, what's your game plan going forward? Well, the message is it's kind of the same. You know, we're still sticking with American values, the American way. But let's also, we're going to start pointing out the hypocrisy and start pointing out the dangers of what they want to do by using ads. So we're going to hit the radios a lot more. I've now got a radio station. So running stuff on my radio station, we broadcast over Facebook as well. We are limited to that. But actually getting ads on TV showing what she is out there saying and the division that it's sowing into our nation instead of what they said, unity and healing. You can't heal with somebody that's out there calling every single Trump supporter, myself included, a white supremacist. Yeah, it's certainly certainly stuff has to change. And I want one more question I want to ask you. President Trump has been a lot of talk about what's going to happen in four years. You think he should do it? You think he should throw his hat back in the arena and take back uh, the White House? Or do you think it's time for uh, someone else to uh, pick up that mantle? What do you think on that? You know, it's. I think somebody said something that would be truly amazing. And it was sent to me, and I can't remember right now. But they said that the president was going to run for Senate in Florida in two years. <laughs> and then he'll be able to impeach Biden and then run for the White House wow. in you know the next That's four. A theory. 
So, yeah, but it would be something amazing. But, you know, whatever the president decides to do, I can completely support him and understand. I mean, going through it again, where they're just so obsessed with one person, they don't care about anybody else in the country or any of the problems. It's still Trump, 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 Trump. So it, for him, I could see with the grandkids and, you know, his son, it teenager now mm -hmm. and even just the family do you want to go through it all again or do you want to just be like we can start our own party and help other candidates to come in and to really start taking over and take back the white house so whatever he decides i'll be behind him 100 percent. yeah it, it's certainly going to be a fascinating not just two years until the midterms but the four years as well it, it's going to be a i think a wild ride but Rayla campbell thanks so much for joining us here today on the wayne hour we Appreciate your time. We wish you all the best and we'll be following uh, your race and all your efforts along the way. So you keep it up. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'd love to have you come on my radio show up in Nashua. We got two hours of just endless talk of whatever we want. Well, that's great. I, I'd love to do it. It'd be a great honor. So we'll awesome. get in touch. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's Take been care. a pleasure. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Wayne Hour. You can again subscribe to the show by finding us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Thank you very much.